Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's November 14th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. The finer details of the next government are still being decided around the negotiating table. But two things are clear at this stage. We will have an impressive spread of 32 Māori MPs across the political parties. And secondly, the next government, made up of National, ACT and NZ First, will not have any Pacifica representation. There are still talented Pacifica politicians across the parties in opposition, but will this be enough to ensure the voices of these communities are heard? And how worried should both Māori and Pacifica communities be after a sometimes ugly election campaign during which race became a major talking point? Later on the front page, businessman and consultant Bernie O'Donnell gives us a sense of where Māori stand after the 2023 election, But first, we'll have Pacific Business Trust CEO Mary Losse to discuss concerns in the Pacifica community. Mary, with the election results largely in now, it looks like there will be no Pacific representation in the new government. What are your thoughts on this? Well, firstly, it's a real shame that there's a lack of representation in the first instance. And when I reflect on how we got to have no representation, there seems to be quite a calling off for Pacific communities to exercise their right and to have a say and vote. Pacific voters in traditionally high voting labour areas dropped considerably in the last election. For example, in Mangere, went from 32,000 votes cast in 2020 to around 18,000, 19,000 last month. And National's got you know, some great Pacific talent there with former member Agnes Lohini, Teatatu candidate. Angie Nicholas and Ruby Manukia-Shomko. So really unfortunate for those wahine and a real shame for the National Party to lose their voices. So for me, there is evidenced apathy among Pacific voters. As a community, we must you know, reflect on our part in the outcome of no representation in the incoming government, and we need to mobilise our communities to have a say. Why do you think there was that lack of voting? Why did people turn away from voting in this last election? Look, I think that there's fatigue across humans globally. You know, we are at uh, that very long, long tail of COVID. And I think people were interested and amused perhaps in the lead up to the election. And then perhaps people are saying to themselves, you know, is my vote going to make a difference? We've worked hard, we've done all of these things, and yet we're still sitting at the bottom of pay, we're still in the lowest income earners, etc. So perhaps there's a little bit of what is the point in fatigue. Are you voting this year? I think it's really important to vote because there's so many people not voting this year and uh, we need to make our voices be heard. I'm not sure, I'm not really into voting politics or, yeah, I'm not into that. I know a lot of whanau that don't do it. Hopefully, if I do it, then they might show that they will do it too. Uh, No, I won't be voting this year. Uh, They're all cut from the same cloth, eh? On the flip side, there are still some very strong voices in the opposition parties, including former Auckland City Councillor Efiso Collins for the Greens and Labour Party Deputy Leader Carmel Cepoloni. Do you think that these voices will ensure that Pacifica communities are heard? 100%. 100% they will be. You know, as the old adage goes, a government is only as strong as its opposition. So we can expect the incoming government to be kept on their tippy toes for you know, 24-7, particularly, as you point out, with the former Deputy Prime Minister and former Auckland mayoral candidate, Ephesel Collins, two very well-versed political exponents. And I think, well, I'd like to think that we'll see a bit of tag-teaming off the opposition benches when it comes to question time. 
I think the incoming opposition parties are going to ensure that it's an interesting three years ahead and that Tangata Whenua and Pacific Voices are strong. On top of the lack of representation in government, ACT has also expressed its desire to abolish the Ministry of Pacific Peoples. How damaging would that be in terms of representing the concerns of Pacifica? Well, firstly, can I just say that the Ministry for Pacific Peoples is not only just about the concerns of Pacific Peoples, it is a highly respected ministry working across all of government on policies and interventions that improve outcomes for Pacific Peoples. Relationally in the region, when we think about geopolitics and the Pacific being a hotspot globally, this ministry will play a critical part for this country in that relationship, fostering, nurturing, building, as they had done The ministry played a critical role in the response to COVID, which is well documented. I think this expression from the ACT Party really is asking for accountability, and that is the right thing to do. Yet there are a lot of ways to express this, and the chosen way was hurtful more than helpful. David Seymour is not a sorry man. It's a joke I've made many, many times about many government departments. His latest jokes about the Ministry for Pacific Peoples. In my fantasy, we'd send a guy called Guy Fawkes in there and it'll be all over, but we'll probably have to have a more formal approach than that. Damien, for me, that episode was all about a power imbalance. When you have a platform, you have to be aware of the impact your words have. And for many that I've engaged with from our Pacific community, it brought back the dawn raids and the societal bullying experienced at that time. For me personally, I was interested to learn what former ACT leader Richard Preble thought. I know that he's got a great love for Pacific peoples and was the very first minister for Pacific affairs, so I'm keen to learn what Richard thinks. What do you make of the fact that race was such a major talking point in the lead-up to this election? Well, I think 25 years ago, we started to learn and be overt that race-based discrimination wasn't acceptable. And we went through a period where we knew that we are not to say those things. And now we're at another point where things become uncomfortable again. And so for me, while unpleasant, it's an unnecessary necessity. I think it's all part of us as Aotearoa New Zealand maturing as a nation. We will have our differences and some will lead to conflicting views and lengthy discussions. Yet on balance, I think the people of our nation know political clickbait when they see it, doesn't make it right. However, for me, it's all part of maturing. What I do believe for Aotearoa New Zealand is that as a nation, we have a degree of humanity that other countries would love to bottle up. So I trust in this and I trust that our imbalances will come right. Now, sometimes you just got to dupe these things out, you know. Mary, let's get stuck into those geopolitical concerns a little bit, because this issue does come at a time when China is expressing enormous interest in the Pacific Islands. Do you think that this is a a moment at which New Zealand really needs to look at fostering those relationships as closely as possible? 100%. And New Zealand has a very good relationship with our Pacific nations. We have three realm nations. Carbao Sepuloni is up at the Pacific Forum at the moment. So I think... The ministry in particular, the relationships that the ministry has fostered and and across foreign affairs as well, play an important role. In Pacific Business Trust, we've got a lot of connections in the Pacific as well for our Pacific businesses out there. And China has been in the Pacific for a very long time. They're not a new entrant. What work is currently being done in the business communities to help uplift those communities that have previously been disadvantaged? Well, firstly, managing risk in an environment to support our Pacific business community in the face of, you know, there's been a number of economic difficulties, severe weather events. While it provides 
challenges, also opportunities for us. The knowings are that Pacific peoples experience lower economic prosperity, lower educational attainment and poorer labour market and housing outcomes. And we're less likely to have intergenerational wealth created through you know, home ownership or businesses or appreciating assets. However, despite all these issues, there's a significant strength within Pacific communities that create enormous opportunities. And PBT is one of them. You know, For 38 years, we've supported and partnered with small to medium-sized Pacific businesses. 10,000 during that time. We're currently supporting 2,169 Pacific-owned businesses across the country. 60% of them are in Auckland. They range in sectors from construction, hospitality, funeral homes, science and technology. So our clients are employing just under 9,000 people. 30% of those are women. And we know that Māori and Pacific-owned businesses tend to employ other Māori and Pacific. So there's real success out there. And our Pacific businesses are contributing to the economic growth of our nation and certainly a sizable portion of GDP, though GDP is not the only one measure to measure them all by. What our Pacific businesses are saying to us at this time is show us how we can compete in the competitive market. They already have the ideas, the willpower, the can-do attitude. They just need some really solid future-focused advice, belief and investment. What about that broader business community? Are they doing enough to ensure Pacifica representation at those senior levels where change becomes possible? Yes, I think they are. I think there's a definite shift in seeking to understand that diversity brings excellence. Sometimes it's not about what is best practice, it is about what is best for those communities to practice, self-directed and self-led. You look at a lot of the international companies, you'll see a great deal of diversity and inclusion in those leadership roles because they know that having a difference of opinion is going to help grow the business, innovation. If everyone's thinking the same thing, you're not going to be thinking what your competitor's thinking. So I think that there definitely is a shift and it's a good thing to see. Thanks for joining us, Mary. The front page is the NZ Herald Daily News Show. And if you want to hear more about the world of business, check out the NZ Herald and Business Desk Podcast Networks on iHeartRadio. The next parliament of Aotearoa will have 32 Māori MPs buoyed by a massive resurgence of Te Pāti Māori. And this community is galvanised to fight for its beliefs. And a bit of a fight might be on the cards if David Seymour gets his way with a referendum on the treaty. On the front page now, we have businessman and Māori affairs specialist Bernie O'Donnell. Bernie, in 2017, Te Pāti Māori was voted out of Parliament. Now they've re-emerged with potentially six seats. What do you make of this massive turnaround? I think we can all really listen from that. I think at the time, the leadership wasn't quite right, despite the efforts of those leaders at that time. When I've got to hand it to Rāwari Waititi and Debbie Packer in terms of turning everything around. They've captured the imagination of a large chunk of our people, so all credit to them. There are some newcomers among those six seats. So which newcomers are you most excited about? I don't know if excited is the word. I've watched them with keen interest. I think the young wahine from Tainui, Hanna Maipi, is someone we should watch. He's very young. I'm a little bit older, so maybe I'm a little bit ageist, but it'll be interesting to see how she travels. There's a little bit of a difference between being on, on the campaign trail and then being in the heat of battle in Parliament. So I'll be watching her... Aotearoa Hau is the kindness of our people being the first to serve the motu, but the last to eat at the table. 
I'll be watching my friend as well, Pakutai Harsha Kemp. Be brave and courageous. Stand up for what we believe in, like we do when we think about our own kids and our mokopuna. We want the best for them. Pakutai Harsha Kemp. She was the CEO of of Manurewa Marae, which is just down the road from Amarae in Manganga, Pariwate Marae. So I know her well, and she did tremendously well in getting up to win that seat. Well, I think there's going to be a recount because it's so close. There's only four votes in my head. This election did mark a big shift away from Labour for those Maori voters. Why have they turned away from the party? I don't think they did. <laughs> I think we have to understand the party vote and the election vote, and, and the way the numbers got back to us that we understand it. I think the Māori vote for the Labour Party was tens of thousands of votes ahead of the Māori Party. I think the numbers were around 80,000 um, Māori who voted throughout the electorates for Labour, and I think it's just about 50-odd 50, 50 thousand, 56-odd thousand for the Māori Party. So they didn't turn away. What I do think happened, though, is that they actually, our people started to understand how they could use their votes the way they should have done it when MMP first came in. The preferred candidate, which happened to be the Māori candidates of those electorates, and I'll talk about that in a minute, why they ticked them, I think. The party vote went to Labour. That's how they, our people tried to vote, vote strategically. We did our job as Māori electorates in terms of the Labour Party support, but I think overall the Labour Party failed in all the other seats. And that was a strong message that they wanted changed. Overall, there will be 32 Māori MPs in Parliament, but most are located on the political left. What do you make of Māori representation across National Act and NZ First, and why do you think the left has been so much better at attracting that vote? Māori are as diverse as Pākehā. They have political views that are diverse. Their lifestyles are diverse. I mean, we need to celebrate that, the fact that there is a Māori in most parties says something to me about where their lifestyles are at, and that's a good thing. And we don't want them to continue to be on struggle street, if you like. And generally, those communities that struggle for a whole bunch of reasons are where the Labour Party's sort of foothold was strong. It's a cause for celebration, if you like, in terms of Māori progress. Better work for the Labour Party. On the political side, though, it does seem that the top Māori talent is more attracted to those parties that are slightly more on the left, like the Māori Party, Labour and the Greens. Why do you think that is? That's a good question. I I actually think Labour Party, as we know, has given up the left. They've been so fixed on what we all think to be middle New Zealand is that they're in a battle with Nashville constantly across the last two or three elections about winning what they call middle New Zealand. And as a consequence, I think they've given up their left. And what's happened there is the Party Māori and the Greens are picking up their votes. I also think, and happy to be wrong, I don't think we really realised the impact of when Jacinda Ardern resigned. This summer, I had hoped to find a way to prepare not just for another year, but another term, because that is what this year requires. I have not been able to do that. And so today I'm announcing that I will not be seeking re-election and that my term as Prime Minister... I think that she had captured the imagination of rangatai, of young people. And I don't think we really realised the impact that that would have on our young votes, especially in the Māori space. Race relations became a major talking point in the lead-up to this election. Are you surprised or disappointed that this has become a subject that some in the political sphere see as up for debate? 
here's the thing. That's not new for the likes of Winston. At times he's played the race card for his own benefit and he ends up being on the winning side of things generally. I don't really think he does that when he finally gets into Parliament. When he got into Parliament last time, Māori really benefited from some of the New Zealand first sort of strategies and policies. I mean, the, the upgrading of our marae was very much New Zealand first. I worry, I worry about the kind of narrative that came out, the race-baiting narratives that came out, which, which were just targeted to get a, what I call the red vote. I just have a lot of faith in what I call New Zealand today, Wild today. And I, I don't think they're in that space anymore. And it's just heartening to see Pātia come out and want to be part of Te Māori, see understanding the Māori world as something important for us to do as a nation, to really understand Te Tiriti or Waitangi. So that's happening at the same time that race-baiting narrative continues. I have a lot of faith, really, well, you had no choice, really, but yeah, a lot of faith in our new Prime Minister, Christopher Luxon. I think from what I've heard already, he's not interested in the party's desire to take the Te Tiriti or Waitangi back to a referendum. That says, hey, he's a good man. Looking forward to Chris Luxon taking us to where we need to go as a nation together. What's your broader view on David Seymour's call for a referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi? Is Willie Jackson right when he says that it would cause more social outrage than the Springboks tour? Absolutely, you would. Got to understand how we've progressed from uh, people that had to suffer through colonisation. Growing up in Aotearoa in the 80s and 90s, well, hold on, the 80s especially was terrible, especially if you lived in the regions where Māori population was wrong and you'd be subjected to racism every day. Thankfully, for me anyway, I think those days have gone. I, I do think that we have party leaders that really want to do the right thing. So I'd sort of encourage that the kind of world Māori and Pākehā Mokopuna will grow up and will be such a great nation. Thanks for joining us, Bernie. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Front Page. You can read more about this and other stories in the New Zealand Herald online at nzherald.co.nz or tune in to news bulletins across the NZME network. Thanks to our producer and editor, Sean D. Wilson. You can follow the front page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.